Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Wow. Nancy Pelosi and others, there's just a bunch in the news here. Nancy Pelosi and others are declaring a constitutional crisis. She actually uh, went on TV today and said, yep, that's what's going on. This is a constitutional crisis, which means that our constitutional form of small r Republican government, that is government within a republic that operates through the principles of democracy. You could call it a, a democratic republic and our, our Republican democracy is actually at risk. Uh, Barr and McConnell are violating many of the norms of behavior that have kept our republic strong and functioning since its birth. And the simple fact is that if the executive branch rises up and defies the legislative and judicial branches of our government, then there's actually no real mechanism to stop them. If Bill Barr just defies Congress, if Donald Trump, for that matter, just defies Congress, the only mechanism to stop either one of them is impeachment. It's very straightforward. As Alexander Hamilton said in the Federalist Papers, the Supreme Court has neither sword nor purse Right. In other words, they can't appropriate money and they can't execute the laws. You know, they don't have police powers. And Congress has the power of the purse, but does not have the power to enforce themselves. I mean, Hamilton laid this out. These branches of government have severe limitations. And the reason why is so that no one branch could take over all the other branches. And basically, the only power we have to block an executive branch that is defying the law is impeachment. Impeachment of the president, impeachment of the attorney general, frankly, impeachment of any other official that has been appointed by the president. Neither Congress nor the judiciary have the power to jail or physically remove anybody from the executive branch. So presidents since the founding have respected the rights and roles of the other two branches. In other words, until Trump came along, we had an executive branch, and, fr and frankly, within Congress, I mean, you know, look at what Mitch McConnell has done, blowing up all the norms of the Senate, holding back Merrick Garland's. I mean, this is literally unprecedented. And it's happening both in the Senate and in the White House. Mitch McConnell yesterday pushed through another crazed right-wing young federal judge 
over the objection of both senators from from its state, over the objection of Kirsten uh, Gillibrand and Chuck Schumer. Just pushed this guy through. And McConnell has blown up the legislative branch, refusing to consider any legislation coming out of the House to ignore in these blue slips. And Trump refusing to respect the oversight authority and duties of Congress, as is Bill Barr, his attorney general. And if this continues and Bill Barr and Donald Trump are not impeached, which is basically the only power that Congress has, they can huff and puff. They can talk about, well, it's contempt of Congress. Right. The same Congress that held Eric Holder in contempt. Now, Eric Holder had actually shown up to testify and had turned over tens of thousands of documents. And at the point that he said no, it was because they were going on a partisan fishing expedition. But he had done a good faith effort. That is not the case of Bill Barr. But in any case, when they held Holder in contempt, they turned the contempt citation over to the Justice Department and said, please hold the attorney general in contempt, the attorney general was the head of the Justice Department, and he said, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Put myself in jail? No, no thanks. And this is the same thing that's going to happen here. You basically have one choice, and that is impeachment. You know, I think the Democrats get this. Now, Trump is giddy about this. He thinks that being impeached is going to help him. And I personally think he's wrong. I don't think, be, you know, impeaching Trump is going to help him. I don't, you know, it, it yeah, it's going to solidify his hardcore base. Can they be any more solid? I mean, you know, which leads us to a discussion, basically. I mean, this is not only could be the death of our republic, but the birth of a full-blown autocratic form of government. And what is holding this all together? The thing that's holding it all together is Rupert Murdoch's media empire, Fox News, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Post and right-wing hate radio that follows their lead. You know, there's a post over at MarketWatch that says, Propaganda works. And this is from Kara Switcher, who tweeted the findings of this poll that was just conducted by NBC News and the Wall Street Journal. Are you uh, not worried about Russian interference in the next election? 38% of people who watch MSNBC say, oh, I'm not worried about it. 46% of people who watch broadcasting, I'm not worried about it. 69% of Fox viewers, about two th over two-thirds of Fox viewers say, oh, Russia, nah, they're not going to do anything. Did the Mueller report clear Trump? Half of Fox viewers say, yeah, sure, everything's good. Average for people who watch any other media is around 16 17%, which is you know basically people who are just not paying attention. But half of Fox viewers believe that the Mueller report cleared Trump. 61% of Fox viewers say Trump has been honest about the Russia probe. 73% of Fox viewers say they approve of Trump. It's well under 40% for you know, consumers of all of the news media at 30% for MSNBC. By the way, Kendrick Castillo, I'm not sure if his family has anglicized the name. It might be Castillo. Uh, or if they're if they're using you know the Spanish pronunciation, but Kendrick Castillo was the young man who ran at a shooter, gave up his own life, and ran at a shooter recently. And at the same time that that this news of of this heroic young man, a Hispanic young man, comes out, 
Trump has a rally yesterday down in Florida. He won't mention our children getting shot to death in their classrooms. But instead, he says, border agents can't use weapons against people coming across the asylum seekers. He says, other countries do, but we can't. And then this woman in the crowd yells, shoot them. And the crowd bursts into cheers and laughter. And what does Trump say? Does he turn to her like John McCain did with that woman who said, oh, Obama, he's a secret Muslim. And, and you know, uh, McCain said, no, no, he's a decent person. We just disagree on the issues. Did Trump say that? No, what Trump said was, that's only in the panhandle of Texas. You can get away with stuff like that. And then he sways his body a little bit and has a big smile. He says, only in the panhandle. Yeah, there's only one part of America where kids shoot at Hispanics and get away with it, right? Instead of disavowing these people. I mean, you'll recall back during the campaign, two of his supporters, after a rally, I believe it was, beat up and then urinated on a Latino man. And this was just in the first couple of weeks of his campaign. And he was given an opportunity again to say, no, I reject this. You know, I'm not going to go along with this. And what did he do? He said, oh, those people are very passionate. He essentially praised them. And we've got vigilantes on the border right now. One of them just the other day said, why are we just apprehending them and not lining them up and shooting them? We have to go back to Hitler days and put them all in the gas chamber. This is honest to God what one of these vigilantes on the border said. And meanwhile, we have this young Hispanic man who was shot to death trying to protect his fellow classmates. He's a child in school trying to protect his fellow classmates from a school shooter. It just, it seems never to stop. Fox News viewers, this, this goes back, you know, a couple of years ago. This was, I think, uh, 2011. Fox News fans flunked questions about Egypt and Syria. This was pre-Trump even, when compared with people who don't watch the news. Fox viewers are 18 points less likely to know that Egyptians had toppled their government and six points less likely to be aware that Syrians have not overthrown theirs. In other words, people who watch Fox News not only don't know what's going on, they believe things that aren't true. Because, you know, it's Billionaire Murdoch's personal propaganda outlet. So what do we do about this? I mean, Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister of Australia, has called Murdoch a cancer upon Australian democracy in an op-ed he published in the Sydney Morning Herald just this last year. And that cancer now has metastasized all around the world. So how does America protect itself from a 24-7 billionaire-funded propaganda outlet owned by a billionaire with the specific purpose of protecting the interests of other billionaires, including billionaire Donald Trump? Or has billionaire Donald Trump fooled Murdoch, too, into thinking that he's actually a billionaire? I don't think Murdoch cares as long as the interests of his other billionaire buddies are protected, as long as that's the only thing that's going on. So how do we protect ourselves from this? Jack Forbes, a professor of Native American studies, he himself Native American, I flew out to California to the UC Davis uh, campus just to meet with him and talk with him back when I was writing The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight back in 96. He's passed away since, since then. A brilliant man, tall. He looked so noble. He had a long black hair, uh, black uh, ponytail down his, down his back. Brilliant man. And he introduced me to the term wetico, 
He said it's a Native American word that means one who eats the soul of others and eats the life of others. And he said, this is the disease that you Europeans were infected with that you brought across the Atlantic and infected North America with. Native Americans were faced basically with three choices. They could run away when they were attacked by colonists with guns. They could fight back, in which case they become the enemy. They lose their own moral ground. Or they could just surrender. And different Native American groups did each one of these three things. The ones who ran away and hid actually kept their culture intact, which is, you know, small solace. But we don't have that luxury with regard to Donald Trump. How do we handle this? What do we do about a massive propaganda effort that's now being aided and abetted by foreign countries, by Trump and Russia? And we don't know, we don't know yet what might be coming out of China or Israel or Saudi Arabia. What do we do next? This is the Tom Hartman Program. And how do we deal with an actual constitutional crisis? As Nancy Pelosi is confirming, we are now in. Hey, Louise and I have been using CBD for a couple of years now for basically pain relief and sleep. But we had been using CBD that also had some pot in it, I suppose, because of, you know, it's legal here in Oregon. Um, but now there's a CBD oil that's legal all over the United States. It's the best quality you can get. And it's derived from hemp, which is, you know, related to marijuana, but it's not marijuana. And so it's, it's legal and it doesn't get you high. And, but it does, you know, have these extraordinary properties of uh, pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. It's from New Leaf Naturals. NUleafnaturals.com is the website. Um, CBD oil, non-intoxicating, so it's ideal if you're looking for the health benefits of cannabinoids without, you know, getting high. This does not get you high. It's non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory uh, properties. And the, th this is the brand that, that Louise and I trust and use, New Leaf, NU Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals, the highest quality concentrated CBD oil on the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States, and as I said, the only ingredient is hemp, so it's totally pure and simple and legal. So go to newleafnaturals.com, n-u-leafnaturals.com, to save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to n-u-leafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get 30% off. And if you're the first person to tweet me the NewLeafNaturals.com website, I'll send you a free bottle of New Leaf Natural CBD oil. On the line with us, Paul S. Ryan is the Vice President of Policy and Litigation at Common Cause. He's the good Paul Ryan. CommonCause.org is the website. And uh, Paul, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. So you guys issued a press release saying that despite Mitch McConnell, Congress must hold the Trump administration accountable for turning over information, for what Bill Barr is up to, all these kind of things. You want to quickly make that point? Sure. I mean, at this point, we're talking about contempt proceedings. We're urging Congress to hold Bill Barr in contempt. There are others who are likewise worthy of contempt proceedings. Uh, and the House is considering such a contempt resolution against Attorney General Barr right now, this afternoon. 
Right. Now, when Eric Holder refused to turn over Fast and Furious documents to a Republican-led House committee, knowing that they were going to publicize them and, and risk the agency, ATF uh, agency programs, um, he refused to do it. Uh, he felt that it was a partisan witch hunt. He was held in contempt, and my recollection is that litigation took years, which, in my opinion, is exactly what Trump is counting on, that this is going to end up in the courts, and it's going to have to go through a couple of levels of court until it gets to the Supreme Court, or maybe even go straight to the Supreme Court. But bottom line is he thinks he can make this thing last until after November 2020, and after that it won't matter. What say you? Well, I'm not naive. Common Cause, my colleagues here at Common Cause are not naive. We acknowledge that the contempt process itself is unsatisfactory, but it's what we've got. And we think it's really important for members of Congress to do their job, regardless of gaming out what the consequences or the outcomes might be down the road. There are a couple different types of contempt proceedings available to Congress. The uh, way that the Holder one, Holder contempt proceedings went was into civil court, and you're entirely correct. I mean, the litigation took years, and in fact, although Holder was ordered to turn over some documents, he was not ordered to turn over others that Congress wanted, and at the end of the day, Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016, took office in 2017, and then it was his DOJ. And he cut deals with Congress to provide them with the documents they've been seeking for years. On Fast and Furious? Yes. So that didn't get resolved for, geez, uh, half a decade. Um, So, you know, the flip side of this is that John Mitchell, who was the attorney general for Richard Nixon, went to prison for 19 months for lying to Congress. Uh, We've seen at least one clear and several probable areas where Bill Barr has lied to Congress. And that's I'm talking the modern era. I'm not talking about his lies to Congress back in the 90s. Uh, You know, it seems if the tables were turned that the Republicans would not be going for, let's just say that he's in contempt. Instead, they'd be, we're going to lock his ass up. Why don't we do that? Well, one of the reasons that this is unlikely to turn out that way is that there's a big difference between perjury, for which you cannot assert executive privilege as a shield, and withholding documents, refusing to comply with subpoenas, which is what Bill Barr is doing, what Congress is talking about today. And President Trump has explicitly now, as of today, asserted executive privilege over those documents. I think the largest issue here, Paul Ryan, is the question of what this has done to America. You look at, for example, the Roman Republic, you know, after Julius Caesar was assassinated and after the fall of the triumvirate, basically, when Augustus declared his absolute emperorship over Rome, that was the end of a 500-year-long democracy, a republic, and the beginning of another 1,400 years of of being an empire. Um, Is it possible that if the Supreme Court backs up Donald Trump on this, And I think that there's a good chance that they will. You've got a couple of members, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, who are on the record as being in favor of, you know, the unitary executive theory of the president really is a king, that this presidency being done by, you know, an incompetent bumbler, basically, who's trying to hide the fact that he's got a a past as a grifter and a liar, that... He is, through his incompetence, not doing the kinds of things that you would have expected from somebody like Mussolini or Hitler, who were actually competent people. But what he has done is he has shown where the holes are. He has shown where the cracks are. He has shown where a truly competent autocrat, compared to Trump as an incompetent autocrat, a truly competent autocrat, the next Republican president who gets in, 
could easily say, okay, that's it. It's the end of the republic. I mean, Jimmy Carter on this program three years ago said, you know, we're no longer a democracy. We're now an oligarchy. Um, he was not speaking tongue in cheek, but he felt that it was still possible to pull back from it. Is it possible that, that this administration is doing lasting, permanent damage to our republic in a way that we may not recover from? Um, it's very possible, or likely even. I think that many of the actions of President Trump and his enablers, including Attorney General Barr, uh, they pose a serious threat to democratic order, the constitutional order of this nation. And one of the bedrock principles of government in the United States is that no one is above the law. We thought that until Donald Trump entered the White House, at least. But Donald Trump is really pushing that boundary. He's really trying to break that very simple rule and, and demonstrate to the public, to the world, that he is above the law, that he can get away with anything he wants. If that turns out to be true, that will be a very lasting, very serious bit of damage to our constitutional order. To a large extent, didn't that start with uh, John Mitchell, with the Nixon White House, when, when the, the Nixon Department of Justice, uh, the Office of Legal Counsel in the Department of Justice, wrote a memo creating a rule, which is not law, but it's policy, I suppose, saying that uh, we, the head cops in the United States, the Department of Justice, we will not indict a sitting president? Yeah, and I think you, I want to underscore one aspect of what you just said. It's not a law. It is an opinion that was generated within the Department of Justice, and um, it needs to be challenged. It needs to be pressed, because any time you're talking about a uh, separation of powers issue, executive branch versus Congress versus the courts, each branch is going to claim as much power to themselves as they can get away with. And the opinion you just cited, the DOJ won't prosecute the head of the DOJ, namely the president. So how do we respond to that? In Congress. I mean, should Congress um, pass a law that says just, you know, a one-sentence law that says no person is above the law? Do we need to amend the Constitution? Is this, I mean, you know, you had two Democratic presidents, well, three, you had Carter, Clinton, and Obama, who all had an opportunity to reverse that DOJ opinion and didn't do so. I can understand why Clinton didn't, because he was being held to account by the Republicans in a way that, was, that could have been criminal. Um, but I don't understand why neither Carter nor Obama did, unless they just never imagined in their wildest dreams that we'd be in a situation we're in right now. Well, in the short term, the remedy to this problem that's enshrined in the Constitution is the impeachment process itself. And right. I want to be clear, Common Cause has not yet called for the impeachment of President Trump. It's a national governing board level decision. Our board hasn't gone there yet. But the process that exists to check a rogue executive, a rogue president, a rogue Department of Justice, is the impeachment process, and that's fully within the hands of Congress. And it would require, to be certain, it would require some Republicans in the Senate to put country over party. I don't know if we have Republicans in the Senate willing to do that, but not so there far. is a process we haven't, not so far. Yeah, right. I mean, you had two. You had Bob Corker and Jeff Flake, and they both left. They were driven out by these guys. Final question, we're talking with Paul S. Ryan, the Vice President for Policy and Litigation and Common Cause. Paul, I asked you about lasting damage to our republic, to the infrastructure, the superstructure of our nation itself, our, our Republican government, uh, you know, and I, a small r, our democracy, if you will. What specifically is Common Cause, or what would you, as an attorney and an authority on this stuff, recommend that we be looking at as ways to repair the damage or plug the holes that Trump has exposed in our legal system, in the structure of our government? 
A very short answer, but a very comprehensive response is H.R. 1, the bill that was passed by the House this year that is a, uh, crosses many different policy areas of our democracy, voting rights, money in politics, ethics, with solutions to many of the most fundamental problems with our democracy today. But H.R. 1 has been shot down by Mitch McConnell. It has been, and, you know, and with every good piece of reform legislation that's ever passed, it's been a multi-year battle. So Common Cause will continue fighting for H.R. 1, and it's going to take two years, three years, four years, but we're going to keep fighting. Yeah. What's the name for H.R. 1? Um, See, this is, this, is, this is what Democrats screw up, you know? Democrats come out with CHIP, you know, the Children's Health Insurance Plan. It sounds like, sounds like something you find in a, in a cow pasture. Um, you know, Republicans come up with a Patriot Act. <laughs> this is the For the People Act. For the People Act. Okay, we, we need to call it that. I, I would love to see a much sexier name, but, uh, you know, that's a start. The For the People Act, H.R. 1. Uh, Paul S. Ryan, the Vice President of Policy and Litigation at Common Cause. CommonCause.org is the website. You can tweet him at the Paul S. Ryan. Uh, Paul, thanks a lot for dropping by. Thanks for having me. Great talking with you. We'll be right back. I asked about the Capitol Police and one of our listeners sent me some information. The Capitol Police Board is a group of three members who maintain jurisdiction over the United States Capitol Police. The three members of the board are the acting architect of the Capitol, the sergeant-at-arms of the Senate, and the sergeant-at-arms of the House of Representatives. And then the chief of the Capitol Police serves as a member with ex officio status. This still doesn't tell me, though, they have the primary responsibility for protecting life and property, preventing, detecting, and investigating criminal acts, and enforcing traffic regulations through the congressional buildings, parks, and thoroughfares. It doesn't tell me if they go out and arrest people. Officers also have jurisdiction throughout the District of Columbia to take enforcement action when they observe or are made aware of crimes of violence when on official duty. They are charged with the protection of members of Congress. While performing protective functions, they have jurisdiction throughout the United States. It doesn't say that they can arrest somebody held in contempt, and that concerns me. Anyhow, we'll figure out what's going on. Jim in Grays Lake, Illinois. Hey, Jim, what's on your mind? I remember an article in the Chicago Trib back in 97. It was either 1997, 98, around there. It hit the headlines with a major executive from Bank. He was a senior vice president, was threatening to uh, resign if the bank didn't change its ways. And in that article, it mentioned a bank in Crimea that was tied in, and also one in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering if Tom's idea of Trump not being smart enough to run a business could be flipped. Maybe he's not good enough to run a legal business, but if he had an illegal business going in the casinos where he was skimming money and hiding it through this banking system in Europe, the fact that her Crimea bank was mentioned in that article way back, I, I don't remember the details of it, mm -hmm. but uh, it, could be, it could be an interesting thing that uh, because Trump, I know in New Jersey with his casinos, didn't pay the people he owed money to for years, some of right. them. They ended up with paid five cents on the dollar or something. Some of them are still out on the road. Yeah, <laughs> we had one of them on this the show. Way, uh, the I, way yeah. he treated them. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I thought it might be interesting to, to flip your uh, thinking on it, that 
Maybe he is a genius at a legal business. I think it's entirely uh, possible, Jim. I think he's been cutting corners his whole entire life from getting his bone spur deferment with a doctored x-ray right straight through Uh, to today. And, and, you know, in fact, I think that he's got that criminal mind thing of it's more satisfying if I do it by breaking the law. Or breaking the yeah, rules. Yeah, that's and that's my thinking on it. But this uh, senior vice president at that time uh, in Deutsche Bank said that if, it, if the bank didn't change its ways, he was going to. Quit. That wasn't Anthony it Kennedy, was Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy's son, was it? He apparently worked no, at Deutsche Bank no, when, no. when Trump got no, his billion dollars. No, I don't remember. Jim, this is the stuff that will come out when we get to see Trump's finances, and I think it's going to be really, really ugly, and that's why Trump is doing everything in his power to hide this stuff. Jim, thanks a lot for the call. We'll be right back. What's the first thing you do when you get into a new car? You adjust the seat, right? Most cars only allow you to move the seat front or back, but if it's a luxury car, you can adjust your lower back or lumbar support. Well, most of us spend more time in our office chairs than we do in our cars. And how many adjustments can you make to your office chair? If it's any fewer than 10 customized ergonomic adjustments, then you do not have an X-chair. I can adjust my X-chair to fit my body perfectly, and thanks to the X-chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, or DVL, my back gets the perfect level of support. DVL is the key to ideal posture, comfort, and productivity, and only the X-Chair has it. My X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairtom.com, use the code XWheels, and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels to go with your chair. That's xchairtom.com. Michael in Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Andrew Jackson got away with defying the Supreme Court in 1831. Twice. He defied them on the Trail of Tears, and he defied them on the Second National Bank. Right. And Nixon was asked to hand over tapes, and he did. Not at first. Now, yeah, now Trump's being asked to hand over some documents, and he's defying Congress. That's this step. If it gets to the Supreme Court, and they do rule that he has to hand over these documents, could he do exactly what uh, Andrew Jackson said and basically say, make me? Yeah. Yeah, he absolutely can. And in fact, with the Second National Bank, well, actually with the Trail of Tears as well, in both cases, he not only said, make me, but he went ahead and did what he was going to do anyway. By the way, so did Abraham Lincoln, although we were at war at the time. But Abraham Lincoln said, I am not going to pay any attention at all to Roger Tawney, who was the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm not going to pay any attention to his ruling in Dred Scott. We are not going to acknowledge Dred Scott. So you've got two presidents, three different times, who've defied the Supreme Court. And then, you know, multiple governors and whatnot, particularly after Brown versus Board of Education. So, yeah, I mean, anything's possible, Michael. And frankly, what you've identified, I think, is the actual, the long game here that Donald Trump is playing, which is if he can throw this to the Supreme Court, then in all probability, we're not going to get a decision until after the election. Where are the checks and balances then? It's only in theory then, right? We only have checks and balances as long as the people in the House of Representatives, the United States Senate, and the United States Supreme Court behave in a fashion that puts country above party. And in the Senate and in the Supreme Court, so far what we've seen on numerous occasions, particularly you know, gutting the Voting Rights Act at the Supreme Court, obviously all the things that Mitch McConnell is doing in the Senate, Merrick Garland and everything else, they're putting party above country. That is not the definition of patriotism. Thank you, Tom. Thanks a lot, Michael. Good to hear from you.
Hartman here with you. And basically discussing the fate and future of the United States, and at least the United States as a small d democratic, small r republic, what Jefferson referred to, and as did Lincoln, as a republican form of government, which means a functioning republic. Rome ceased to be a functioning republic with the death of Julius Caesar and continued 1,400 years as an empire with an emperor, as basically a kingdom. Donald Trump is pushing us in that direction. He's trying to take down the United States government. Steve Bannon declared this, you know, we're going to deconstruct the administrative state, the so-called deep state, and they've done it. I mean, they're, they're putting in the senior positions from the very head all the way down to things like science advisor, they're putting in the senior positions of the EPA and the, and the Interior Department. And you pick your department in the federal government, the IRS, they're putting their toadies in these places and then they're gutting them. They're massively cutting their budgets. They are literally remaking the American Republic. They're changing the, the nature of our form of government and they're defying the explicit provisions in the Constitution for oversight. It's breathtaking what they're doing. And then meanwhile, if you look at the Mueller report, here's the sentence that's covered all the time. The evidence uncovered in the investigation did not establish that the president or those close to him were involved in the charged Russian computer hacking or active measures conspiracies, or that the president otherwise had any unlawful relationship with any Russian official. Okay, that sentence gets quoted over and over and over again. What isn't quoted is the sentence that follows it. Literally, the next sentence. But the evidence does indicate that a thorough FBI investigation would uncover facts about the campaign and the president personally, that the president could have understood to be crimes or that would give rise to personal or political concerns. In other words, we weren't able to nail this down, but if the FBI does a thorough investigation, they will. Which raises the question, which has been raised several times now by even several members of Congress, is did Bill Barr shut down this investigation that was being conducted, you know, by Robert Mueller? Did he shut it down prematurely? I think so. But you look at what's going on now. Now, Donald Trump has proclaimed that he knows how to negotiate with North Korea and Kim Jong-un, I and mean, Kim Jong-un is a good guy. And I mean, this is what a sucker Trump is. This is how he lost a billion dollars plus, two billion dollars in today's money, just in, in the nine-year period that we've got tax returns for from mid-80s to mid-90s. How did he lose that money? He's a sucker. Some guy came to him and said, hey, let's do Trump vodka. And he was like, cool, let's do it. Somebody else, hey, you should build a casino. Yeah, great idea. Hey, you should, you should buy Eastern Airlines uh, shuttle, Northeast shuttle. Oh, yeah, wonderful. All these things failed. I would argue that the only reason the Trump winery is still in business is because they've been hiring people who are in this country without documentation, who are willing to work cheap, and in many cases work extra hours, as we know now has happened in the Trump golf course properties, for free because they're afraid that the Trump organization will turn them into ICE but they've been working there for decades. I have been saying for, geez, I think about a year now, that I think that he's actually broke. I think he's been broke since the 90s. I think he's been living off cash flow and borrowed money. 
He goes to Deutsche Bank and borrows two, three, four hundred million dollars. And then when they say pay it back, he sues them. And then they say, OK, you don't have to pay it back. By the way, here's another billion. He's living large, right? But how much does it cost to live large for him and his family? You know, the whole Trump crime family. There's like, what, five, six, eight of them where they include the little kids and all this kind of stuff. You know, you can live large on a couple million dollars a year. You can live real large on three or four million dollars a year. You can live super large on $10 million a year, even an entire family like that. You're going to spend a million dollars a year. That's, you know, in the neighborhood of $80,000 a month, if I'm doing my math right. And $80,000 a month is in the neighborhood of $20,000 a week. And for $20,000 a week, you can, you, know, you, can, you can get a lot, right? So I'm of the opinion that Donald Trump has always been a grifter. He was stealing money from his father's estate. His father was giving him some, and he was also stealing some, or at least you know, some of the interactions were rather dicey. His sister was apparently collaborating with him in this because as a federal judge, she just resigned a couple of weeks ago to avoid being investigated after the New York Times laid out how this illegal tax fraud scheme worked, where Trump was taking money from his father's estate, hundreds of millions of dollars, and delivering it into his own pockets and those of his siblings in ways that were in open and naked violation of the U.S. tax code. It's breathtaking. And Aside from the fact that Donald Trump lied to us, not just through the campaign, NBC lied to us when he was on The Apprentice saying that he was a great deal maker and a successful businessman. He was a failed businessman. He would have been out of business over and over and over again if his daddy hadn't bailed him out. His daddy one time went to one of his casinos that was failing with millions of dollars worth of cash, bought chips, walked off with the chips, and that was it. Okay, he converted several million dollars into little pieces of plastic. And, and Trump was able to keep his casino running for another month or three. The guy has been lying he was lying when he published Art of the Deal. He was lying when he was on The Apprentice, and NBC was lying to us about it. Although, you know, truth be told, they probably didn't realize the depths and, and depravity of Trump's lies. He was apparently lying to his banks and his insurance companies, at least according to his lawyer, Michael Cohen. And he lies about assaulting women. He, it's just, how much longer do we tolerate this? Isn't being a, a serial liar with 10,000 lies documented under your belt by the Washington Post, isn't that in and of itself enough to impeach somebody? But now we've got another situation here. Donald Trump is promoting this. The economy's just wonderful. Everything's great. Right. We've actually seen the workforce over the last four months, the workforce participation rate, the number of people who are actually working as a percentage of the population, has been declining. Now, there's a number of possible reasons for this. One is that a lot of these people are losing full-time jobs and they're getting gig jobs, so they're still considered working in some numbers, but not in others. They're working at Uber. Uber went on strike today, by the way, as a way of demanding basically recognition as workers, decent pay, some transparency, all this kind of stuff. So consider this. In the first three months of this year, and I got this from Chuck Miller's newsletter this morning from Aiden Forecast. In the first three months of this year, 77% of all new loans for commercial real estate were interest-only loans. 
This is what I wrote this morning for our Facebook meme, as it were. Trump's management of the economy has been similar to the way a cocaine addict keeps on functioning. Periodic jolts, in this case it's tax cuts, low interest rates, military spending. Periodic jolts of stimulus, continuously stronger and stronger. And any of you who lived through the 80s, we all saw this in somebody that we knew, right? Just a little more cocaine, just a little more cocaine, just a little more cocaine, just another day without sleep. And then what happens? After two or three days of no sleep, they just crash and burn. They melt down, they freak out, they go nuts or they just sleep for two days. And that's how Trump is running our economy right now. That's how the Republicans are running our economy right now. This is the scam that they're running. And now that we've got 10 years of Trump's tax information from the 80s and the early 90s, we know that he's literally, he lost more money than any other wealthy person in America. He bought an airline, it went bankrupt. He bought a vodka company, it went bankrupt. He started a university, or he started a school back then, another school, it went bankrupt. Pretty much everything he did, casinos, they went bankrupt or out of business. He literally lost, in today's dollars, about $2 billion. Now, I don't think that back in the 90s he had $2 billion. And I think that he's borrowed all that money to keep his lifestyle going. I think that the reason why Donald Trump is hiding his tax returns, the reason why he told Mitch McConnell it was a higher priority to put his guy in as the chief counsel, the lawyer for the Internal Revenue Service, that was a higher priority than getting the attorney general of the United States in, was because he knew that this guy would protect his tax returns. It's why he put a crony in as commissioner of the IRS, a guy who used to work for Trump. He would protect his tax returns. Well, what is in his tax returns? And I, I ask you this question. What do you think is in Trump's tax returns that he is hiding so aggressively? What is he hiding? And what are all these Republicans working to help him hide? I personally think it's the fact that he's broke. I also think it's that he has been so broke that he's been willing to get into, and basically I don't think this is driven by being broke. I think he started life this way. I think this is a business practice he inherited from his father. But I think the other thing is that he's perfectly willing to launder money for some of the most evil people in the world. These oligarchs who ripped off, I mean, you know, in 83 was one of his first big money laundering schemes for Papa Doc Duvalier, who hid his money in Trump Tower bought real estate in Trump Tower, money stolen out of Haiti. So the Democrats in Congress, they're looking at it going, hey, you know, this guy's committing crimes. He's been doing money laundering for what, 40 years now? And yeah, I, you know, I get that. But I think the thing that he's desperately, desperately tried to hide is the fact that in 87, when he wrote the art of the, or when Tony, what's his name, you know, wrote the art of the deal and Donald Trump published it. He was two years into losing literally hundreds of millions or $100 million a year. He was broke. But he needed to revive himself as the captain of industry, as this great guy who understands how things work. And so he hired this ghostwriter and he published The Art of the Deal and everybody was like, whoa, this guy is cool. He's, he's really a big shot. And he continues losing $100 million a year for the next eight years. And we don't know how much he's lost since then because we only have his tax returns up to the mid-90s. And I think this is why he's trying to hide his tax returns. I think Ivanka is broke. 
Kushner is obviously living on borrowed money. He went over to the Middle East to borrow a billion dollars to prop up his 666 Fifth Avenue building. And the Qatar government, which, you know, is the largest investor in this huge uh, wealth fund, turned him down. And immediately you had Qatar being blockaded by Saudi Arabia, by Mohammed bin Salman, Jared Kushner's buddy. And the blockade continued until they finally said, okay, cool, we'll give Kushner a billion dollars. They gave him a billion dollars, and within a week, the blockade was gone. In my opinion, that's probably the most egregious and obvious crime that this administration has committed. Meanwhile, the Venezuelan embassy, it looks like the, uh, now I'm not sure who exactly ordered this, but the Potomac Electric Power Company, Pepco, used to be my power company. This is, they basically control all the electricity in D.C. Assisted by the U.S. Secret Service, this is from a, uh, a Code Pink press release, cut off the water and the electricity to the Venezuelan embassy. And outside the embassy, there are all these right-wingers who are supporting Guaido, the white right-winger in Venezuela who wants to topple the largely brown government of Maduro. Last night, the Potomac Electric Company, assisted by U.S. Secret Service, cut off electricity to the activists lawfully residing inside the Venezuelan embassy in D.C., creating a dangerous emergency position. This was done despite the utility bills being fully paid, and the building is the legitimate government of Venezuela, and despite the fact that the activists inside are the invited guests of the Venezuelan government. This would be like the British government cutting off the power to the Ecuadorian embassy because Julian Assange was there. They never even, you know, they didn't even consider this. Meanwhile, Dana Milbank's press pass, in fact, everybody at the Washington Post and pretty much most other mainstream outlets had their press passes revoked and were told, you can apply for a temporary press pass, which means that you're 100% serving at the pleasure of Sarah Sanders. Oh, doesn't that sound great? And so the Washington Post applied for these temporary passes, and out of their nine people, they got seven of them. Dana Milbank didn't get one. Why? He writes op-eds, and he's been critical of Trump. This is what autocratic governments do. This, this is how, it's exactly how, governments like the, the autocrat who's now running Poland, the autocrat who's now running Hungary, the autocrat who's now running Russia, the autocrat who's now running the Philippines, the autocrat who's, who's, who is, has just begun running Brazil, the autocrat who's running Turkey, the autocrat who's running Azerbaijan, the autocrat who's running what used to be called Burma, Myanmar now, who everybody thought was a, you know, a great advocate of democracy. This is what autocrats do. First, they take down the press. And then they could do everything else without it being exposed. They also take down the protesters. The state of Texas right now, this, the, in Chris Patty is a state representative in the state of Texas. He represents the, uh, the, the town of Marshall, Republic, Republican of Marshall. He has introduced House Bill 3557 in the Texas House that would subject anybody who protests against a pipeline in Texas to 20 years in prison and up to a $1 million fine. Also, if the protest interrupts the construction of a pipeline, then the protester has to pay the cost of building that pipeline for the period of time that it was interrupted. 
North Dakota is considering similar legislation. And what's, all, what's supporting all this? The billionaire Rupert Murdoch and the media that he owns, Fox so-called news, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, and others. And now Sinclair Broadcasting has got in the act. We know, I mean, this is uh, Mina Hartenstein writing over at the New York Daily News. In a survey of New Jersey natives, Fox News fans flunked questions about Egypt and Syria when compared, this is from 2011, when compared with people who don't watch Fox News, Fox viewers were 18 points less likely to know that the Egyptians toppled their government, six points less likely to be aware that Syrians have not overthrown theirs. Now there's a new poll on this. It was conducted by NBC and the Wall Street Journal, which Rupert Murdoch owns. And they found, this is a News Corp's writing over at DailyCoast.com, Fox, Fox News viewers have totally bought into the propaganda that Trump and his fluffers in the right-wing press disseminate. It simply is not normal for 69% of the viewers of one network to say they aren't worried about Russian interference in U.S. elections. This is only true of Fox viewers. 50% of Fox viewers falsely believe that the Mueller report cleared Trump. This is only true of Fox viewers. 61% of Fox viewers say that Trump has been honest about Russia. This is only true of Fox viewers. I mean, the bottom line here, apparently propaganda works. Kara Swisher, who's with Recode, she's the co-founder of Recode, she basically said, hey, this study on Fox News, it shows the propaganda works. How does America protect itself from a 24-7 billionaire-funded propaganda news outlet? And does American democracy have an Achilles heel that we need to do something about? This is the Tom Hartman Program. I mean, how vulnerable are we? Trump is violating all these norms. It turns out a lot of these things that he and his minions are doing are not actually illegal. They've just never been done before because nobody was that crazy. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one 888 gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one 888 gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one 888 gold Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, the new book by Ellen Ratner on the line with us, the author of Sideswiped, Congressman Bob Nay, former Congressman Bob Nay from Ohio. Bob, welcome back. Well, thank you, Tom. Pleasure. So what's up in the world? Well, in the world news, as you've probably covered a lot of this, of course, the name Donald Trump Jr. is all over the news. But the twist to this, of course, for the Trump administration, which my friends up on the Hill tell me they are very frustrated internally in the White House because it's the Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee right. that is subpoenaing Donald Trump. And is this course, Richard Burr's committee? Yes. Richard now, Richard Burr, Burr is the guy who has been identified, and I think it's been verified, that he's the guy who was feeding 
top secret information about what Mueller was looking into back to the White House, or do I have that wrong? Burr also, Tom, called in for the second time. Now, this is fascinating, too, if you want to look at Burr's motives. And I served with him when he was a House member. Uh, he's very, very smart politically, believe me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, by the way, he's from the Aaron Burr family. Uh, oh, directly. wow. That's amazing. Yeah, they do the uh, Blair Hassett Island reunion yeah. every every year. Huh. Uh, but Burr, uh, have for the second time, and this hasn't made the news, has called in Jared Kushner. I think in the last probably 10 days or so. I don't know why that didn't make a lot this of news. This is for secret testimony. It came for the second time. Yeah, right? it's probably because it was secret testimony. But here's kind of the big question. Let's say that Don Jr. refuses to answer questions or even refuses to show up, citing some, you know, Fifth Amendment, you can't do that. Or maybe you can't, I don't know. Or executive privilege. And Burr cites him for contempt of Congress and passes that along to Bill Barr at the Department of Justice. And Bill Barr says... I'm not going to do anything. What power does Congress have if the executive branch, which holds the police power for this country, refuses to use it? Well, that's the problem. This goes into litigation. Chairman Nadler of the House today said this quote may take a long time, and he knows what we all know. This could take two or three years. This could go past 2020, which will be their motives. Now, it's interesting, though, Tom, on the Donald Jr. case today, the president himself answered some questions, and he didn't say that they wouldn't allow him to go there yet. Right. That I don't think he has any legal basis for it, because Jr. doesn't work, he theoretically, is running the Trump organization. Well, right, and unless the president has given him some type. Now, this was maybe the motive in the first place, because I was asked today, does the president, uh, does the White House pay Ivanka Trump and Kushner and Donald Jr.? Because right. you know, they're working in dual capacities, which they shouldn't in the first place, as we all know. And probably it doesn't matter about the pay. The fact that they are, quote, officially there in some capacity allows that executive privilege. Now, if New York State investigates them, that won't count. But I think probably they will say that in some capacity, he advises the White House. Therefore, even though it had nothing to do with the campaign as an advisor now, they may try that. But for sure, they haven't gotten to the point where, they, where they're doing everything else. Look, Tom, when everybody else is called, what happens with the president? No, we're not going. It's not going to happen. Blanket this. His answer today was he didn't know yet what they were going to do with Donald, That's Donald interesting. Jr. So is it, do you that think that it's... Probably the, you know, Burr internally is trying to decide what to do with this. I think Burr is more trying to head off things than bring light of day. Yeah, which is pretty grim. Do you think that Letitia James, the AG of New York State, is the biggest threat right now to Trump and his, and his family? I have said on our radio stations probably two and a half months ago that the biggest fear that Donald Trump has to have is New York State. Not Mueller, not the feds, New York State. Yeah. He can't even pardon, if anybody's convicted, remember, he can't pardon them. Right. And he's got a really tough woman who really knows what she's doing. Oh, yes. And who, by the way, is African-American after all his swipes and everything else as the attorney general. And, boy, he's got to be sweating. Bob Nay, thanks a lot, Bob. Thank you. you. Author of Sideswiped, if you want to know how D.C. really works. David K. Johnston is on the line with us. David, welcome back to the program. Hi, Tom. Glad to be here. 
David, as a, uh, an extraordinary reporter, I believe you're a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. Yep. Your most recent book, It's Even Worse Than You Think, What the Trump Administration is Doing to America. You've done some of the most profound and extraordinary reporting on Donald Trump. And a couple of days ago on my colleague Amy Goodman's program, I believe, you made the comment that Donald Trump was deeply entangled with an international cocaine trafficker right. around the time he shows this mysterious 50 plus million dollars in income and calls it interest on his tax returns. Tell us what you were talking about. Well, that's a little bit later than this, but this is in my biography of Donald Trump, the making of Donald Trump and the references to the court records, the New Jersey Casino Control Commission records, and, and the other things are all in the footnotes there. So people who find this hard to believe, and I understand many people find this hard to believe, can check the record. Uh, when Donald Trump got his first casino, Trump Plaza, which opened in May of 1988, he needed helicopter service to bring in high rollers from New York and Connecticut and Baltimore and elsewhere. Uh, other casinos went to established helicopter companies. Donald Trump avoided all of them and instead went to a company called Damon Aviation, which was connected with a mobbed up firm that made high interest loans to people and was financed mostly with New Jersey government bonds as part of our corporate socialism in America. And it was headed by a twice convicted felon and mob associate named Joseph Wechselbaum. In the fall of 1985, so we're not that much further into the future, right. Donald Trump's general counsel for his casino or one of his casinos got a phone call that Joe Wechselbaum had been arrested by the Drug Enforcement Administration. Eventually, Wechselbaum not only uh, he pled guilty, he confessed, he uh, made a long detailed confession about how he was importing cocaine and marijuana from Columbia to Florida and then having it driven up to Cincinnati, Ohio to be distributed. Hmm. Donald Trump, as a casino owner, should have cut all ties with this man at that point. He should have gone think. Yeah. Well, as a casino owner, particularly, right. he needs to cut ties with him. Right. Uh, he has not been convicted, however, yet until the point that his confession was accepted by the court. Wexelwell. Uh, the judge in Cincinnati was asked to allow the transfer of the sentencing to be moved to either New York City or Miami, where Wexelbaum had homes. Well, it was transferred. But it was transferred to Newark, New Jersey, and to the courtroom of newly appointed federal judge Marianne Trump Berry, Donald's older sister. Wow. A woman who flew in the helicopters of this drug trafficker and, in fact, flew in Donald's personal helicopter when Joe Exelbaum was the pilot. Now, think about that for a moment. We had a sitting federal judge who got her appointment thanks to Roy Cohn's connections to the Republican administration in the White House, a sitting federal judge flying around in the helicopters of a confessed, very big-time cocaine trafficker. The case was then moved to another judge, which is what should happen. But nonetheless, the message in the courthouse is pretty clear. If you were the chief judge, Tom, in Newark, New Jersey, when you heard about this, you would have gone nuts saying, God, I hope the newspapers never hear about this. This is a disaster. Right. Joe Wechselbaum got 18 months. You know what the drivers, the mules got for driving the drugs up from Florida to Cincinnati? I'm guessing decades. 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. I don't know how much they served, but those were the sentences. So, and then Wechselbaum is going to get out, and he has to have a job and a place to live. 
He tells his probation officer that he's going to go back to work for Donald Trump as his helicopter guy and that he is going to move into Trump Tower. And somehow, with no underwriting by a bank, Joe Wexelbaum's girlfriend got a double apartment in Trump Tower with a $2.4 million mortgage. And by the way, Wexelbaum said he couldn't afford to pay his federal fines of $30,000, and all he did was pay three checks of $200 each. Now, there's a lot more to this story that I tell in the book, but given that level of entanglement, I'm going to add one more element. Donald Trump wrote a letter to be used by the sentencing judge in which he characterized Joe Wexelbaum as a credit to the community, you know, a stand-up guy who shouldn't serve any time because he was such a good guy. And when New Jersey casino regulators found out about it, the detectives went and asked Trump, who denied writing such a letter. When they got the letter and came back, his answer was, well, that's my signature, but I don't remember writing that letter. Now, you remember Donald Trump in the campaign said he had the world's greatest memory. Right. And the casino control regulators uh, then did an investigation based on my report in the Philadelphia Inquirer about Wayne Barrett's biography of Trump, which had this story in it. Mm. They concluded that there wasn't enough evidence to establish anything, and that's because the casino regulators to all owners, not just Trump, had an unwritten policy, never ask a question, the answer to which would force you to go after the license of a casino owner. And so Trump skated on this. But I think the evidence here is so clear that I've said, and I'll say again with you, I think that Donald was involved in the cocaine trafficking business with Joe. And Donald, if you're listening, if you think I just slandered you, sue me. There you go. And China, if you're listening, maybe there's some documentation out there. So, so David, one of the other things you pointed out is that there's no way that Donald Trump had enough assets to earn the kind of interest that he earned for several years. Where right. do you think that money came from? I don't think it was interest. I think it was something else. In 19, uh, whatever the year is, he got $59 million of, uh, $52 million of interest. That is more than 110 times what he got three years earlier. Right. And he would have had to own $350 million of very risky junk bonds or $660 million of treasury notes to earn that kind of interest. And he didn't have that kind of money. Right. So I think that that was reported that way so that he reported the income. Right. But that's not what it was. And Congress should find out. And I, they should. I agree. Last he, question, David, real quick. Yeah. Do you I, I've been preaching for some time that Donald Trump is broke, that he's a total grifter. He's been broke since the 90s. He's living off loans that, you know, they ripped off Deutsche Bank for and cash flow. What do you think? Well, he lives off cash flow. Donald is always desperate for cash, which is why he's a national security risk. And there's no question that he has brought in an enormous amount of money. But how much he is indebted and to whom, and in ways the government doesn't require disclose, we don't know. And we need to find out. We absolutely need to find out. David K. Johnston, David, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thank you, Tom. Great talking to you, as always. And boy, where are we going to go with this? Where is Congress going to go with this? David K. Johnson's most recent book, by the way, it's even worse than you think what the Trump administration is doing to America. You can tweet him at David K. L. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.